Hello everybody, so that was Lizzo's new song called About Damn Time, and that is the type of song that you just can't not dance to. It has a very, like, disco vibe to it, which I love. Um, what do the teenagers call it now? A bop? It's a bop? <laughs> Today's trigger warnings are going to involve um, abuse of multiple, multiple kinds of abuse, medical trauma, and murder. Warning, I am not a professional. Maybe one day I will be, but today is not that day. Do not take anything I say as gospel, and please seek professional help if you think you need it. So today we're going to talk about Munchausen by proxy. I feel like this term was made famous by the case involving Gypsy Rose Blanchard, which we will be talking about as well. So the true crimers are going to get a small dose of that as well in today's episode. If we're going to get really technical about the label of Munchausen syndromes, um, I suppose it's important to note that the latest name for it is facetious disorder, which would be Munchausen itself, and then facetious disorder imposed on another. Um, that's the new name for Munchausen by proxy. And it was originally named after Baron Munchausen, who was really well known for telling the most exaggerated over-the-top stories. The complete definition explains that Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a mental health problem in which a caregiver makes up or causes an illness or injury in a person under their care, such as a child, an elderly adult, or a person who has a disability of some kind. And because vulnerable people are the victims, Munchausen by proxy is a form of abuse. Some of the symptoms of Munchausen by proxy are things like an adult who often will not leave the side of their child or the person that they're caring for. We'll also discuss in detail the symptoms and care that's been provided. And this is typically used as evidence that they're a good caretaker and they're doing a good job. If the symptoms uh, go away when the patient is in the hospital, they'll probably return when the caretaker with Munchausen by proxy is alone with the child or the person at home again. Some other possible warning signs of Munchausen by proxy are things like the child or dependent person having a history of many hospitalizations. Often there will also be a set of strange symptoms. The child or dependent person's symptoms generally are being reported by the mother or the other caretaker with Munchausen by proxy, and not being witnessed by hospital staff. The child or dependent person's conditions and symptoms not matching the results of diagnostic tests, so things are just not adding up. And then the child or dependent person's condition improves in the hospital, but the symptoms um, return once they go home. There's also things like blood in lab samples not matching the blood of the child or the dependent person. And then the child or dependent person um, possibly having signs of chemicals in the blood, stool, or urine. Also, there might be a history of one or more unusual illnesses or deaths of children or members in the family. Diagnosing Munchausen by proxy is very difficult because of the dishonesty that's involved. Healthcare providers have to rule out any possible physical illnesses. Um, as the cause of the child's symptoms, and often use a lot of different diagnostic tests and procedures before considering a diagnosis of Munchausen by proxy in the adult caregiver. 
If a physical cause of the symptoms is not found, then a thorough review of the child's medical history, as well as a review of the family history and the caregiver's medical history. It's actually pretty common for the um, caregivers to have Munchausen syndrome themselves, so directed at themselves and not someone else. But all of this might provide clues to suggest Munchausen by proxy. It's also pretty common that the individual with Munchausen by proxy may have other comorbid uh, psychiatric disorders, so having more than one at a time. And the most important or helpful part of the workup is the review of all the old records that can be obtained. But unfortunately, this is really time consuming, but um, is, it's a critical task in diagnosing people with Munchausen by proxy. And if we're being really honest, most doctors don't do that. <laughs> so how is it treated? Um, one of the biggest concerns in cases of Munchausen by proxy is the safety of the child or the dependent person. Ensuring their safety is important, and this often includes placing them in care of someone else. And this can take a team of people to accomplish. So people like social workers, foster care organizations, law enforcement, and healthcare providers. It's kind of difficult to treat people with Munchausen issues because they often deny that there's a problem and success can be dependent on catching the person in the act or the person telling the truth. Um, however, people with Munchausen by proxy tend to be such accomplished liars that they start to have trouble telling fact from fiction. Usually therapists use CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, and the goal for Munchausen or Munchausen by proxy is to help the person identify the thoughts and feelings that are contributing to the behavior and to learn to form relationships that are not associated with being ill. So the complications of Munchausen by proxy can lead to serious short and long-term complications. A few of these is continued abuse, multiple hospitalizations, and death of the victim. There's been research that says that the death rate for victims of Munchausen by proxy is about 10%. And in some cases, a child victim of Munchausen by proxy learns to associate getting attention by being sick and develops Munchausen syndrome themselves. So it kind of can morph into something else. So they end up believing that there's something physically or mentally wrong with them and believing that they're sick. And again, it is considered a form of child abuse and it is a criminal offense. Mark Feldman is a expert in Munchausen uh, by proxy or Munchausen syndrome. And he says that the victims of Munchausen by proxy abuse often avoid doctors and hospitals in their later lives because of lingering trust issues which I think is very understandable. There isn't really a way to prevent Munchausen by proxy. Um, however, it might be helpful to begin treatment in people as soon as they begin to have symptoms. So removing the child or other victim from the care of the person with Munchausen by proxy, um, that is, it's helpful in preventing additional harm to the victim. One thing I want to mention is the fact that Everyone is allowed and should advocate for themselves and the people in their lives. And by that, I mean, if you know you don't feel right, don't feel bad in any way for getting a second opinion. 
There are for sure doctors out there that are plain lazy and will blow off serious symptoms. And I know a lot of doctors simply ghost patients um, that they can't seem to help or they can't figure out what's wrong. No referral, no, sorry, I can't help you, just ghost, which is so messed up. So it is entirely okay for you to demand testing or get a second opinion or even a third opinion. This does not mean that you have Munchausen syndrome unless you're purposely doing something to yourself or someone else and you know that that's causing some symptoms, then that's, that's different. Now we're going to go over a few cases and these first few are super brief. So the first is Jennifer Bush and she is from South Florida and she was taken from her family and placed in the care of the state when it was believed that her mother, Kathy Bush, was intentionally making her sick as a result of Munchausen by proxy. In 1995, it was alleged that Bush was giving her daughter extra doses of medicine in order to, well, possibly intentionally infect her in order to take her to the emergency room to be treated. By the time Jennifer was eight, she had spent over 640 days in the hospital, undergone 40 medical procedures, and brace yourself, she had 1,819 non-surgical treatments. That is absolutely absurd. The next case is Lacey Spears, who was apparently a popular blogger who was convicted in the death of her son, Garrett, after poisoning him with salt. So unbeknownst to her followers, uh, she had been secretly poisoning the child with life-threatening doses of salt through a feeding tube. And it was then revealed that she had asked a neighbor to enter her home and dispose of Garrett's feeding bag, which was filled with the equivalent of 69 packs of salt. So I have heard of salt-related deaths before, and it sounds like an awful way to die. So sodium is salt, and it's a really important electrolyte that your body needs, but too much, while we know it kills you, having a high salt content is called hypernatremia, and the symptoms of it are things like muscle weakness, restlessness, extreme thirst, confusion, lethargy, irritability, seizures, unconsciousness, and death. One of the most severe complications of hypernatremia is ruptured blood vessels in your brain, which leads to brain hemorrhaging and death. The next case is Hope Ibarra. Ibarra poisoned her daughter with stolen pathogens that sent the child into anaphylactic shock. And later, um, the Fort Worth mother admitted to using nasal spray to alter the results of a sweat test for cystic fibrosis. And then she drained her daughter's body little by little with a syringe. That is super messed up. Like she drained her blood one syringe at a time. Now we are going to really get into probably the most famous case of Munchausen by proxy. And that is the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the subsequent murder of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard. Gypsy Rose Blanchard grew up with her mother, Dee Dee, 
and she, her mother was making claims about her health that resulted in a series of very serious diagnoses and medical interventions. However, Gypsy wasn't actually unwell. Uh, her mother had been lying about her symptoms. Gypsy Rose was born in 1991, and um, she was just a baby when Dee Dee claimed her daughter had sleep apnea. When Gypsy was eight years old, Dee Dee described her as suffering from leukemia and muscular dystrophy and said she required a wheelchair and a feeding tube. The list of medical problems that Dee Dee related about her daughter would go on to include things like seizures, asthma, and hearing and visual impairments, just to name a few. And due to Dee Dee's actions, Gypsy was prescribed an absolute ton of medications and had to sleep using a breathing machine. She also went through multiple surgeries, including procedures on her eyes and removal of her salivary glands. When Gypsy's teeth rotted due to these medications she was on, missing salivary glands, and just neglect, they were all pulled out. The truth was that Gypsy could walk fine, she didn't have muscular dystrophy, she didn't need a feeding tube, and she didn't have cancer like her mother claimed either. Um, Dee Dee actually shaved her head and continued to shave her head bald only because she was trying to keep up this facade. From the outside, Dee Dee appeared to be this charming, devoted mother, so people believed her when she would tell them everything that was wrong with Gypsy. However, medical tests often showed inconclusive or contradictory results regarding Gypsy's diagnoses, but Dee Dee would stop seeing any doctors who questioned her daughter's ailments. She had some nurses training so she could accurately describe symptoms and she would sometimes give Gypsy medication to mimic certain conditions. When Gypsy was old enough to talk, Dee Dee instructed her to not volunteer any information during appointments. She was always the one telling doctors about Gypsy's fake medical history. And when some of Dee Dee's family noticed that Gypsy didn't seem to need a wheelchair and asked questions, Dee Dee and Gypsy moved away. Her father was not in the picture. Dee Dee had told um, Gypsy that he had abandoned them and didn't care about her, which was not true at all. Uh, Dee Dee was just keeping them apart to keep up her lies about Gypsy's condition. So in 2005, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit in Louisiana, where they were from, and Dee Dee claimed to be a victim of Hurricane Katrina. So she and Gypsy received assistance to relocate from Louisiana to Missouri. There, Dee Dee continued to bring Gypsy to doctor's appointments. Hurricane Katrina also provided an excellent excuse for missing medical files. In 2008, Gypsy and Dee Dee moved into a new home in Springfield, Missouri, which was built by Habitat for Humanity. So her mother really screwed a deserving family out of a home. She successfully scammed one of the biggest charities in North America. Dee Dee and Gypsy also received benefits that included charity-sponsored visits to concerts and Disney World, and they also had hundreds of thousands of dollars donated to them from various charities. And all along, Dee Dee continued to bask in the attention she received for being this amazing mother. When Gypsy was 14, she saw a neurologist in Missouri who came to believe that she was a victim of Munchausen by proxy. 
However, this doctor never reported her case to authorities, and in later interviews, he stated his belief that there just wasn't enough evidence to act at the time. And in 2009, an anonymous report was made to authorities stating that Dee Dee's account of Gypsy's ailments had absolutely no medical basis. This resulted in two caseworkers visiting their home, but <laughs> Dee Dee convinced them that there was absolutely nothing wrong, so she slipped under the radar yet again. There was a point where Dee Dee convinced doctors that Gypsy couldn't eat anymore, and so they placed a permanent feeding tube in her, and she was given so many different medications for illnesses she didn't have, which ended up doing damage to her body, and it's speculated that after the feeding tube was placed, the permanent feeding tube, um, that, she, that Dee Dee was feeding Gypsy toxic substances to keep her sick. Not to mention all the painful and exhausting procedures and testing that she put Gypsy through. One test in particular was to see if she actually had muscular dystrophy, uh, which is alleged like why, like why she needed a wheelchair. And they make an incision in the thigh and it extract a strip of muscle fiber and they send that away for testing. In an interview, uh, Gypsy says that she still has a scar on her leg from those procedures. What's even more interesting is that the test came back inconclusive. So Dee Dee took her to another doctor. It was also discovered that depending on what Dee Dee was trying to accomplish with a new doctor, the family history that she would give them would change. Like I stated before, these individuals are usually very good liars. As Gypsy got older, Dee Dee began to lie about her age, going so far as to alter the dates on her birth certificate to make her seem younger. In 2011, Gypsy tried to get away from her mother by running away with a man she'd met at a Comic-Con type event, but Dee Dee soon tracked them down through mutual friends. And she convinced the man that Gypsy was a minor, even though she was 19 at the time. According to Gypsy, Dee Dee smashed her computer, her laptop, and physically restrained her to a bed using handcuffs and a dog leash after they got home from that event. And she was tied to this bed for two weeks. And Gypsy has also stated that her mother would sometimes hit her and deny her food. So she was obviously super abusive in so many ways and just not right. Eventually, Gypsy did manage to get back on the internet and she joined a Christian dating site where she met Nicholas Gojon. Um, unbeknownst to her... <laughs> He had been arrested before for watching porn and beating his meat in a McDonald's. And he also had a few weapons charges. She told him the truth about what had been going on with her mom. And they ended up having an online relationship for three years. Eventually, Gypsy brought up the idea of killing Dee Dee so that they could be together. In interviews, she says it was more of a fantasy type thing. She didn't really think that... It was serious or that it would happen and eventually Gypsy got fed up and she was scheduled for yet another surgery she knew she didn't need and she had had numerous times before so in June of 2015 Nick came to her house from Wisconsin took the bus to her house 
and stabbed Dee Dee in the back 17 times while she slept. And while this was going on, Gypsy waited, ears covered, in the bathroom. Gypsy and Nick fled and returned to his home in Wisconsin from Missouri, where Gypsy had moved after Katrina. So they went from Missouri back to Nick's house in Wisconsin, and she had left her wheelchair behind because she knew she didn't need it. So it took a few days for the body of her mother to be discovered, and not long after that, the police found them. So Gypsy had posted twice to a Facebook account she shared with her mom, and she wrote, that bitch is dead. And she later explained that she made the post because she wanted her mother's body to be discovered. After Dee Dee's murder, a lot of people who knew Gypsy wondered why she had gone so far as to kill her. Since she couldn't walk, she simply could have exposed Dee Dee's lies by standing up in public. But Dee Dee had been conditioned to think that no one would believe her. And in an interview, she explained that I couldn't just jump out of the wheelchair because I was afraid I didn't know what my mother would do. I didn't have anyone to trust. The fact was, Gypsy had spent her entire life being controlled and monitored by her mother. She wasn't allowed to go to school, uh, though Gypsy was completely of normal intelligence. But Dee Dee had told everyone her daughter had a mental age of seven. When they were out in public, Dee Dee constantly held Gypsy's hand and squeezed it when she wanted her daughter to be quiet. And there are videos where you can see how far Dee Dee pushed and influenced Gypsy's actions. She really does act much younger than she was, very childlike. And it wouldn't be hard for an average outsider to believe she had cognitive disabilities. So Dr. Mark Feldman that I mentioned earlier, he's the expert in Munchausen syndrome. He said that her daughter was essentially a hostage. And I think that we can understand the crime that occurred subsequently in terms of a hostage trying to gain escape. In an interview from prison, Gypsy says that she knew she could move and walk perfectly fine and etc. She wasn't sick, but her mother forced her to use her walking aids and then eventually confined her to a wheelchair. And there were times as a kid when she would be playing, as kids do, and she would forget that she had to use her walker or a cane or whatever her walking aid was before she was completely in a wheelchair. And she would run around and her mom would absolutely flip out and make her go get her walker or whichever walking aid that she was using. She even went to the extent to physically abuse Gypsy when she caught her not using her walker or other aids. Her mother had scammed so many charities over the years. She basically used Gypsy as a way to make money from these organizations. So Gypsy's medical records documented the abuse she'd been subjected to, and her lawyer was able to arrange a plea deal for the charges she faced in Dee Dee's death. In 2016, Gypsy pled guilty to second-degree murder, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison, um, and she'll be eligible for parole in the beginning of 2024. Nick was found guilty of first-degree murder in 2018, and he is sentenced to life in prison. Honestly, I, I don't personally believe she should have received 10 years. Um, it's, 
it's a little hard to even agree to any time, but like, I understand murder is murder, and they probably needed to give her some time, but like 10 years? I don't know. The, okay, this isn't funny, but Dee Dee's family back in Louisiana, who had confronted her about her treatment of Gypsy years before, uh, didn't regret her death at all. Um, Gypsy's father, stepmother, and the nephew who first shared details of Gypsy's actual health when she first started to use a wheelchair, uh, they all later said that Dee Dee deserved her fate and Gypsy had been punished as much as she needed to be. None of them would pay for her funeral. And her father and stepmother, this is terrible, ultimately flushed her ashes down the toilet. That's just brutal, like, dang. So Gypsy has stated it was only after Dee Dee's death that she realized the extent of her mother's deception. While Gypsy had known she could walk and eat regular food, she had believed she had leukemia because that's what her mom told her and she was shaving her head and doing all of the things to convince absolutely everybody that this was true. But it was not true and it never was true. She has a completely normal bill of health and is currently still in prison until her parole in 2024. And if she isn't granted parole, she'll still get out in 2025 anyway. Currently, there are at least four or five newer movies based on this case, along with countless documentaries. I'm sure you can find a lot of them on YouTube. And one thing that really stuck out to me uh, when I was watching interviews and, and looking through this case was one thing that Gypsy said, and it was that she enjoys more freedom in prison than in the life she shared with Dee Dee. That's a, that's a big yikes. So that's a little bit about Munchausen by proxy, now known as Pachesis Disorder imposed on another. Honestly, it'd be terrifying to be on the receiving end of that. Also, the fact that doctors were performing these surgeries with no real definitive testing leading up to it is so off-putting. But I mean, the fact that after Dee Dee was murdered and her family was like, nah, we're flushing you down the toilet. Like, that's, that's brutal. That is it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Firefly Psychology. And I will catch you next time. Bye. Ah.